Welcome to Before Showtime with Connor Marcello. I am Connor McCreesh. I am a freshman at American University studying film and aspiring to be a filmmaker and screenwriter. Whoa, you're so cool, then. Are you a filmmaker? You can call me one. Cool, cool. I'm Marcelo Ona Machado. I am a grad student studying film, and I'm also trying to be an aspiring filmmaker. And at American University. Yes, sir. And... Wonk filmmakers. Fun fact, we just recorded a short film that we're probably going to try to show in a theater later. And then, Hopefully. Yeah, this semester we're also going to shoot another short and then see how that goes, right? That's going to be fun. Connor's going to be on uh, on the camera. He's going to have to step up. Yeah. He, went, he, he upgraded from a non-speaking role in my last movie to camera one. While having to be passed out on the couch. No, you, you did a good job, though. You actually looked thank like, you, past thank the fuck you. out. I, I must admit. I think my proudest moment in that short was probably me looking at the mushrooms and being like, Ooh. Oh, yeah. No, and I used that cut of you gulping because I was like, oh, shit. The acting performance like, came through. This is my Oscar clip. But anyway, today, what we're going to do for our first podcast is talk about women talking and then we will proceed to go on to awards talk towards the end of the convo. But, Lots of SAG and BAFTA going on. But yeah. Uh, Men me Connor, talking about women talking. That's basically what this is. Um, we both just saw women talking about a week ago, right? Yes, I did. I saw it, I think, the Saturday night at AMC in Georgetown. Surprisingly, quite a decent amount of people showed up. For real? Like what's like the percentage? I think it was actually a Sunday. Yeah, I went. I went at a landmark in Hillcrest, which is in San Diego. I had a I had a freaking Uber there because I didn't have a car at the time, right. and it was like flooding in San Diego because we never experienced that much rain at once before. Because we live in a chaparral, which is basically a desert, but like right before a desert, you got a chaparral. Well, so, I got my hydrofox. We're good, bro. Oh, water we can break. Survive. Live water break in the moment. But yeah, so I, I went to the Hellcrest and I showed up and I was like, hey, I work at a movie theater in DC. That's a landmark. And I just like hop in there and they're like, we have nowhere to verify that. But like, sure, because it's women talking. He literally said that. He's like, if it was like Avatar Way of Water, I would have said no. And I was like, oh, but yeah, because it's women talking, you believe me more. And he was yeah. like, yeah. Screw, screw these small indie films. We'll, we'll let unverified people go there. But mm. Avatar? Hell no. <laughs> So you're, you're not no, but you're shout, not sneaking into Avatar. Shout out to Landmark Hillcrest for just letting me cop a free ticket. Like even though I do work at the Landmark in DC, like the dude had to take my word like as truth. Well, well lucky bastard, I have AMC A list. I have to pay the twenty five bucks a month to see a bunch of movies. Actually, that's a pretty good deal. No, that's a great deal for you, dude. You watch like almost more than one a week in the theater, right? Oh, I do. Yeah. That that deal, if you do the math, is is like worth it as long as you watch two movies a month. But so I go in the theater, right? And there's only like three other people, but two of them are right behind me, and they automatically start talking about like, oh, like do you know Sarah Polly, which is the director of Women Talk. Okay, so they're cooler than my audience. 
Well, they knew their stuff because the woman automatically starts talking about like, oh, yeah, she started as a child actor on Baron Manchus and and like, yeah, apparently she didn't have a good time. There's a whole article about it. And then she was like kind of going on about that. And and she was like, yeah. And like, I, I see like why this transition into directing like was a career pivot, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the heck? I'm with like a crew that like knows Sarah that actually Pauly's knows filmography. Shit. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, Sarah Polly directed Women Talking. Her previous films as a director include Away From Her, starring Julie Christie, which got her an Oscar nomination, the documentary Stories We Tell, and Take This Waltz with Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen. This is, Women Talking is her fourth feature film as a director. She had a long and story career as an actress before that, so she had a bit of a leg up. She had been in, as mentioned, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, directed by Terry Gilliam. She's probably best known today for having a lead role in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake as an actor. She's nowadays more known as a director, though. Yeah, she. I don't even know if she... And she was in Sweet Hereafter. Does she act anymore, or is she just completely pivoted to directing now? Not as much, it seems. She definitely... Directing and writing, because she also yeah. wrote the screenplay... It was based on a novel, but she... No, look, her last acting role was 2010 for a movie called Trigger. Really? Yeah, so she's she's pretty much committed to directing now, which, honestly, I'm okay with. Not, not that we're complaining. We, I am not complaining. It was a great film. We're both, like, clear with we liked this film, right? We're yeah. both clear with... It was so great. why is this movie not getting more buzz? Because... I watched the movie and I'm thinking like if this was released 10 years ago, this would be one of those films yeah. with multiple, multiple nominations. And right now it's struggling to even get like two or one. If I recall correctly, Jesse Buckley got a Crick's Choice nod and the screenplay got a few nods. That's the most likely one it can get. It, I think it got a Golden Globe nod, a Crick's Choice nod. Um, I don't think it... BAFTA snubbed it, which yeah. we'll get on to later. Um, original score is pretty likely because it's Hilda Gernadotier. I don't and see her score how it cannot get an original score nomination because it score does. Great. It does help the movie like go from a certain level that it it honestly couldn't have reached without the the composer for Joker. It's and Tar, right? It's the same um, composer. What's her What's her name again? Hilda Gonadotier. She didn't actually... Her music for Tar wasn't actually in the movie, so you can't really say that. But she did score Tar. Like, she's credited. Kinda. Yeah, but Tar didn't... Yeah, it's, you're correct. It's weird as hell. It she really... mostly did sound design for it. Yeah. So, focusing back on women talking, though, obviously, the very clear, strong point of the movie is the acting. I mean, most of the movie, believe it or not, is just women talking in a room about obviously whether they should leave or not because they're experiencing sexual assault from the men in the colony that they live in and they're they're in this uh it's like Mennonite. very isolated like yeah. kind of amish like yeah isolated like religious community mm -hmm. and the and it women takes place in 2010 mm -hmm. and the women in the society like they have the power in terms of running like laws government like, they don't really have a government, I guess, but they have a system, and the women run the system, basically. Yeah, and a lot of it is about, like, educating the men, because that's what Ben Wishaw's character, who we'll get to later, is assigned to do yeah. within 
within the colony and as a result that that's how he like starts earning their respect and he and he keeps track of what decisions and what like votes and what choices the the main characters are making the cho- the two choices that these women face is stay and fight or leave it's not do nothing yeah and also like i think the thing it tackles too during the film is like are are we able to live in a cohesive society where men and women both have the power and i think that's something the movie raises as a question over cuz like i think one of the big uh, troubles that the women are having for staying is they know that the men are only going to get more aggressive after those assaults like it's not going to get better they're human they're men yeah it's it's in no way an isolated incident mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time living in a in a structured system where only women have the higher higher power it shows like what men will do in response to that right which is not necessarily a right a good or right thing but you know we're human at the end of the day so i think we're gonna act animalistically rather than logically when we get pissed off right so why don't why don't we talk about the lead actors why don't we go rooney mara how how did rooney mara do for you i thought she was great you didn't you said a lot of people didn't like her in it yeah i was reading some reviews honestly and they were she was she was a little cold that's actually a very fair way to critique her performance but i thought it was i don't know i thought it was she's definitely one of the more understated in the cast i'm guessing she wasn't a standout to a lot of reviewers yeah i guess because she wasn't as like eccentric quote-unquote than like maybe the jesse buckley character who was getting all yeah who are getting very emotionally charged about like i don't want to fucking be here Whereas uh, Rooney Mara is kind of the one that's is is a little more level headed and a logical, more of like a voice of reason. Yeah, she's she has the more modern uh, perspective on things. I, actually, out of all the women, she's the one that's willing to you know actually be okay with the men being in the society. She's actually a proponent of we need to bring them. If we do end up leaving, we do need to bring some of them because we love them and like yeah. we can't just pretend we don't. Because one of the central conflicts in the story is whether or not to bring whether or not for the women to bring their sons if they end up leaving because they need their sons and they like love their sons and want to like shape them for who they are yeah no absolutely but jesse buckley let's go into her character for a second she she's pretty freaking solid at one like i thought in the beginning i was like a little bit like i'm not adjusted to this dialogue right now so let me get like my feet wet a little bit but once I did, and then Buckley had stuff to do, which I won't spoil, obviously, because we're all yeah. about not spoiling movies. Yeah, go go watch and support women talking. It's not doing too well at the box office. It could use your support. Absolutely. So, yeah, Buckley has stuff to do, and when when that happens, I thought she brought the heat. Like, I thought she was great. Yeah, and this is one of the better things I've seen her in because she did very well and i'm thinking of anything she got an os a surprise oscar nod for lost daughter for supporting actress even though she was the main character i a younger think version. speaking on that i think she might get nominated for this one as well because i'm not she only got into critics choice but out of everyone she's the only one right that's that, got she's the only on? one that anyone's nominating wow that's that's crazy yeah. all right so claire foy 
why is she not getting nominated? Because I thought she was pretty strong as well in the film. She and was she, like just as good. She has out of the Buffy. three women the most um, emotionally charged performance because she is the one that wants to revolt against uh, the men and wants to. And she wants to like straight up kill the rapist. Yeah. No. She and honestly, I don't. I don't know. I can't if she's, blame her. Yeah, she's not necessarily like wrong. I don't know. But, uh, that's kind of messed even up for me she to say. Leads, even though it leads to all this conflict within the group. Yeah. Because they're they're like she's not reasonable enough. But she has a point when she said like it starts like this. Where is it going to escalate to? And I'm like, you know where it's going to escalate to. The men will fucking take over if they want to what do you think connor do you think like she had a point when she was like i i believe this we need to go like let's just you know what do you think honestly can't blame her can't blame her <laughs> we need to discuss ben wishaw let's the man and women talk let's do it i think ben wishaw is the heart and soul of women talking i think his character if it's not in the movie I, i'm not sure i would have liked it He's, he's the, the one man you can tolerate. He's in the it. one man character that has speaking lines in the whole movie. Yeah, I, I'm going to go out and say this. This is one of his most impressive roles to date. Oh, by far. And it's and it's because it's it is supporting, but it has so much weight to the role. I I think he's the the main supporting of women talking. I would say the main supporting actor of women talking is Ben Winshaw. It's it's the man talking and women talking. Yeah. The man barely talking and women talking. Now, let's get into spe- he, specifics. Though, like, why is he good, Connor? Like, why do you think he was good? What I loved about his performance in that was that he was so understated the whole time, but like just with a facial expression and just with like a soft murmur of his voice. He does the actor thing where he like lets out like one tear when his voice is normal, and goddamn, I love that. <laughs> The sexy cry. Kubrick up in the house. <laughs> no, but honest, yeah, you're correct. So, like, there's a lot in the performance that is not super explicitly shown, but it's like he he's holding it in, and you can see it in his eyes. That's what makes it good. And it's he he has some flowery dialogue. But don't get me wrong, this movie is full of it. He's doing a lot. Yeah, but. I don't know. I think it was when he wasn't talking. It was when I was like, "Yo, Ben Wishaw might dialogue. get the might get the nomination just because he's fucking body." I right hope now. he gets the nomination because honestly, he would deserve it. Yeah, right? it Where like allows like, nuance without like feeling like okay, we're pandering to the guys in the audience so that mm-hmm. they they don't call us sexist or anything. It doesn't feel like that. It, does it feels not, like actually yeah. like kind of it feels heartfelt. authentic. And plus. He, his role in this colony is to actually be the young boy's teacher so that the burden isn't entirely placed on the women of this society to educate the men. But what we see as an audience is somebody that is just tasked with writing things down. He's he's put in, in a subordinate role, right? So my next question for you, Con God, is... Thank you. Awfully flattered. <laughs> You'll take the nickname. Why... Do you think it's the subject matter that our people are having trouble with here? Like part of it is the subject matter for me because well not for me but for audiences, you know what I mean? Because Avatar just recently came out, Black Panther I think is still showing in some theaters and I think people still want to go to movies in a pandemic era like to escape from the troubles of the world and 
It's a hot button. It's a hot movie. button right now. Yeah. And plus, she said, which was a similarly like hot button mm-hmm. movie because it was about the New York Times reporters who covered the Harvey Weinstein scandal. That was a big studio movie. Like this, Women Talking, I think was an MGM film, so it wasn't like quite as big. She said, got like a decent budget from Universal. They got Carrie Mulligan, Zoe Kazan, Samantha Morton. Yeah. But that but was a no got, show at the box office. They got a release that wasn't limited, right? Like yeah, Women Talking and people didn't started with a limited release. And I wonder what, if it's because the subject matter, they were a little afraid to just wide release that yeah, into I, the world. I think people are probably like, that might be too heavy for me. I might skip out and maybe watch it at home. She says another movie that's underperforming at awards because it's. I think it's probably only getting at max maybe screenplay maybe Harry Mulligan's getting in that's another movie that yeah. seems to be underperforming yeah I haven't seen that one uh, I thought it was pretty good. was pretty good I also think more than the subject matter it's the color grading that people saw in the trailer Got turned them off they were like wait I don't want to see it a looks movie. really desaturated like nearly black and white on I the topic of that used... you think the color grading is like it's affecting the performance of the film potentially because I don't think people like looking at that stuff. What did you think about it personally? I got used to it as the movie went on. I thought it worked kind of nicely during the indoor scenes, during the dialogue heavy scenes where there or all the women are in the farmhouse and like having their debates, having their discussions. But when it goes outdoors and you like see scenes of like the sunset and horizon and the kids playing in the field, it doesn't work. I think it ne- I think those scenes mm. needed color. I think you could have given more of like a Terrence Malick vibe to Don't that you scene think the though the tone of the film is consistent with the color grading? Right? Yeah, it is. It's like, not like, oh, this is a super lighthearted movie that's all no. of a sudden dark color. No, no. like it's we're, it's heavy. It's very heavy. It kind of the color reminded me of a Clint Eastwood type of of aesthetic mixed with like the dark blues of like moonlight when we go like nighttime. Because I remember in the film when it was doing nighttime scenes and it was like Rooney Mara. It was very moonlight pitched where. You know, Clint Eastwood obviously is a proponent of using kind of harsh front lighting mixed with like a formalistic, like subtle tone. Yeah. But I think to do that, you probably could have shot in black and white. So, you, oh, okay. So, or if you're going like to do the dark color. tone, you think Polly should have maybe chose black and white for the she film? She could have. I think that would have worked. All the thing is, I think what the reason why a lot of people were upset by the color grading was that when the film started premiering at festivals and like the first few onset stills came out, they were natural lighting. They mm, were basically like all vivid. And I remember the Oscar expert subscribed to them. They're excellent. That's my plug. They showed the image and they were like they loved the movie but other than that they they didn't like the color grading and they were like they showed the still they were like the still looks like this but the movie itself looks like this and they basically took the still and photoshopped it to desaturate the colors and i was like oh that's a downgrade yeah i had less of a problem with the outdoor scenes with the color grade than you I, I didn't necessarily thought it looked like, you know, Terrence Malick level cinematography by any means. But I think I the was... cinematography was very good. Yeah. But I, the thing is, I feel that the color grading kind of... It took you out a little it bit. It really kind of undid a lot of that work. Oh, okay. Is it because, like... like, when it gets sunnier, you can notice the color grading more? But when it's yeah. darker, you obviously can't because the, last the, shot, the lighting is super dark. The last right? shot of the film is like... R- not to give any spoilers, but I think you 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 will know what I'm talking about. They there's like this ride into the horizon, but and it's supposed to be like the sunny day, but the sky's like all like blown out white. 
Mm. And I was like, we'll cut, we'll this cut is that. your... We don't, we don't mention the last show. This is your great ending. Film, right? yeah, don't, okay. let, don't mention the last show. I won't. But kind of... Okay, Michelle McLeod. McLeod. She was playing McLeod? the... Is it Michelle McLeod? I think so. Yeah. She was playing a character that was struggling with uh, anxiety, right? Do you remember that? Yes. How did you think she did? How do you think she did? She was one of the more memorable characters in that film. Absolutely. I'm guessing because she's not like quite as well known of an actor as the others. She's like not getting quite as much awards talk. But honestly, Mm. I think she was as good as even even Buckley and Rooney Mara. I agree. No, she she was impressing me like during the movie and I was like, wait, is she in like other things? And I like checked and this is like one of her one of her first um like true Major acting roles. performances. Yeah. She was in uh My Spy with Dave Bautista in twenty twenty. Like come on dude. That's it. This is an upgrade. This is an yeah. upgrade. Um, and how about so there are two there are also two older women actors. Um Judith Ivy is one of them. Judith Ivy. Was she the one that was playing like the there is a comedic relief one, right? Like kind of. Like there's not really comedy in this movie, but the one of the older women definitely is a little more like quippy and a little more like like, uh, like lighthearted right about the whole thing. Remember? She's just like, Oh yeah, yeah we need that. to pray to we need to pray to God, guys. Like, let's just move on. It's like, no, we're dealing with like serious topics here. Yeah. And, and like, the thing oh. is, another one of the major conflicts in the story is that they because of their religious beliefs the women like feel under pressure to actually forgive their abusers as if they like as if they didn't do anything really wrong as if they didn't victimize them mm-hmm. yeah another reason why i think the film was underperforming is because it's not being marketed well at all oh yeah i mean the only time i saw a like trailer for this movie was when i was like going to watch an independent movie like the whale i remember seeing the women talking i trailer saw before. i think i saw the trailer for it in front of either after sun or tar yeah at, those at are both lame, and know, i was and it feels like budget. most of the people who and know attention about this movie are the people who are like following award season and are like much more like passionate about it you know like us mm. But it's not really getting general audiences hooked. And weirdly enough, I think she said was better marketed than Woman Talking. And honestly, like I haven't seen She Said, but Woman Talking has one of the most stacked casts of the year. Like there's a and there's levels to this. And they're not marketing it too well. Like, for example, like in terms of all female cast, this is one of the best like ensemble put together in the last five years hot take oh no doubt about that because i remember the first poster came out which was the shot of the two older women holding hands and i thought mm-hmm. that was a really striking image and guess what second poster they just badly photoshopped the credits over this image of the yeah. lead actors that one was rushed that that poster was rushed it was no like doubt. did they not care uh i don't think they had time uh, uh, that's what it looks like one thing we forgot to mention though which is Francis McDormand. Okay. Well, this kind of pivots me to my next topic. There was about, not are they enough tired? For the movie. Are they tired of are is are people tired? Audiences, critics, because she produced this movie, boots and strapped it, from what I've read, and even Along like with took, Brad Pitt took a too. little took a little starring role in it, probably just to get people to go see it, right? Yeah, because she was one of the main draws, like one of the main people shown in the ads and like one of the people promoting it. Yeah, and, and we won't spoil her part in it, but yeah. 
It's not the hugest part it's, in the fucking movie. Let's just it's be It's a supporting up. part. It's a very supporting part. It, it almost looks like she wanted to produce the movie and somebody said, could you please just like show up so somebody wants to we can get some movie, eyes uh, on the screen, which is totally fair. It's Brad Francis McDormand. Brad Pitt. Three-time Oscar winner. Oh, so yeah, Brad Pitt also produced this movie. Does that also affect something? I don't Potentially, know. because the thing is like, we won't go into the allegations against him in detail, but that also because he also produced Plan B produced um, She Said and people uh, that film got accused of a lot of hypocrisy because Brad Pitt both worked with Weinstein and has the allegations against him from Angelina Jolie. And also he produced Blonde, which yeah, that's got to hurt. We're not like. Just to get this out of the way, we are not those type of aspiring filmmakers that like to shit on movies. So, no. although me and Connor may not have been the biggest fans of Blonde, uh, no. we're not gonna we're not gonna go into it because we're, uh, we're yeah. not giving it attention. Yeah, it's okay, and you know, it was sometimes you know people misstep and it happens. Colin so. Farrell loved it though. Did you hear his Golden Globe speech? No, what did he say? He was <laughs> remember when I don't know if you saw it on TV, but he was like. Under Armas was presenting with him, and he was like, um, "Well, that's when you why, were, dude. When you were, when you're you, gonna say when your you movie sucked die, ass while so you're hard. right next to the girl. Like, hey, by the way, I fucking hated your movie. No, no, no. he's gonna be like, hey, that's one I, of the I, best performances. No, I fucking hated that movie. I do have to say, I love Ginny the Donkey. One thing about Blonde, I will say though, Under Armas is fantastic in it. Fantastic. She, she, even if you don't like the movie, like admit that." She wasn't too bad in it, and oh, yeah. she could. She's heading, even though people hated the film, she could be heading for an Academy Award nomination because she has SAG, BAFTA, and Golden Globe. And plus, the thing is, like playing Marilyn Monroe, that's just the role of a lifetime, and I can't imagine an actor like turning that down. Yeah, no, I th- I thought she did the best she could with the material she got. But moving on to awards season now, since we're talking about Frances McDormand, three-time Oscar winner, actually four-time because she won Best Picture for Nomadland since she produced, she produced it. it. So, and as anyone, uh, as some people know, there's only a certain amount of actresses that have won multiple Oscars for acting. And I think McDormand has won all three in leading, if I'm not... For Fargo, yes, Nomadland, and three billboards. So I, I'm not sure, but I think that's one of the first to pull that. Although that could happen again with someone else, Kate Blanchett. Oh yeah. So speaking about that, for the Baftas, Blanchett, I think is a lock, dude. I think it's a. Lock. I think she's definitely winning that, if not the Oscar. I think it's both, dude. I think she's she could. she's got it, dude. I think for actress though, it's between her and Michelle Yeoh. Tar Tar sorta seems like a swan song movie for Blanchett. Like you could argue like, oh, Blue Jasmine, she got like a really meaty, like kind of feisty role in that. But Tar is like a it's her there will be blood, like Daniel Day Lewis moment. More like a Phantom Thread moment. I think it's there will be blood because she's gonna get the dub. Phantom Thread, the guy just got nominated, right? Yeah. No, he she's she's got it this year. I'm I'm pretty no, sure. No, Day Lewis won for There Will Be Blood. He won for there, but not Phantom Thread, right? You're, yeah, you were I saying, remember. oh, Blanchett's a Phantom Thread moment. I'm because sa- you were talking about it like as a swan song. Mm, I'm talking about yeah, that's true as a swan. Well, it's not really her last role, right? Don't get me wrong. Well, yeah. she's gonna have a lot. I don't think she's gonna be. I actually after this. think she is capable of winning another Oscar after this one because she's that fucking good. She's that good in tar. Like. 
and in she's anything. a top I would say top 10 female working actress like without a doubt and if Tar didn't solidify that you're you you straight up are not watching the same movie like spe- no. so she got the lead who's getting the lead actor then for you uh, con lead God. actor it seems like the race is going to be between Colin Farrell for Banshees of Minasharan, mm. Austin Butler for Elvis. These two both won the Golden Globe. And Brendan Fraser for The Whale, who won Crick's Choice and made an incredible speed. So I think for the BAFTAs, it's clear Farrell's going to take it. Yeah. Right? We don't really need to go into why. If I were to vote for any of these, like not to throw any, but not to throw Butler and Fraser under the bus, but I'd probably vote for Colin Farrell. Dang, really? For me, it would be um, Fraser then Farrell. Because... Remember when I came out of Banshees, I literally told you, like, holy crap, Colin Farrell might have got his Oscar. And you were like, Marcelo, like, we'll see. But I have to say, I watched I watched The Whale, and I I think it's Frazier's moment. And the performance literally is... And he's got a strong career narrative. Narrative. The, the, the difficulty of that character is kind of on his side. Because Farrell is, at the end of the day, a pretty humanistic character in Banshees. Super relatable. Not a ton of, like you know super like he doesn't have like a disability or he has like an ailment he just is like Like, he just is a little ditzy maybe but that's not really like a fucking struggle for him if anything i think he struggles as a character with uh, not being respected right and yeah feral plays that to a fucking t dude oh definitely speaking on that banshees is gonna get the best picture for the bafta for the bafta okay we're talking about the baftas right bafta that I can see that happening. But you, you, what do you see happening for the Oscars? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Rakakui. Rakakui's going to come, you think? Yeah. Rakakui's going to win the Oscar, but bro? I, I think so. The passion's there. It, like, that is one of my favorite movies of the century so far. I, I can't believe that a movie with Rakakui in it would connect with me that much. And, like, have that much of an impact on me and be just such an utterly unique film that I think... Most it, most original movie of the year, it's undoubtedly... Oh, easily. Un, undoubtedly. It, honestly, it made most movies of the past, of, like, the year before look bad. It didn't make them look bad. It just made them look like you weren't going for it. Like, I yeah. have to say one thing. Everything Everywhere, like, for me personally, I loved the movie. Not as not nearly as much as, like, Letterbox. clearly. Not but, as much as me. Not as much as you, too, but uh, it, it was more because of some unevenness I had with the film. But, my God, the fucking swing that the movie's taking on subjects about depression, you know. Nihilism, um, family nihilism, trauma. Family drama to the extreme, right? Like, we're to the point where this mom is treating this daughter pretty poorly, but there's reasonings, right? But we're, we're really going there. We're really going there where other films are scared. Other films are scared to talk about an everything bagel. That's a bunch of shit. It's just this black hole of nothingness, right? But this movie is just like, fuck it, dude. We're going to go there because this is, like, what we want to do. We want to make, like, maybe the craziest shit you've seen on screen, but talk about real topics. Yeah, no, this is not This is not a Marvel movie. It's this not. is a movie that's going to take risks. Yeah. And it's paying off. And I think it's, it's trying already... to use the multiversal subplot, which, is, in my opinion, you could argue, oh, it's the main plot. I think it's a subplot, the multiverse stuff. I think it's all distraction to the family drama at the core. And plus it does it a hell of a lot better than Marvel ever could. For But, like, I will say this. For me, why it won't win the best picture at the Oscar. I think it's winning. 
The passion's there. The narrative's you there. Think. I don't think, bro. The narrative is there in, because it's I'm an Asian you. immigrant story and it's such an original film. And the narrative around Banshees is just, it's a good movie. That's all. I think I think people, and plus mainstream I, I audiences could get I alienated. I think with the critics, specifically with the critics, the narrative with Banshees is, oh shit, friend, um, Martin McDonough has come out with arguably his his best made film in like Bruges. in terms of no it's in Bruges and Bruges has more charm but if you're talking about like the craft of filmmaking Banshees is a little bit better executed with its scenery I don't even remember too much the scenery of in Bruges I can literally what? tell Except you that and a Sharon in Banshees like is a fucking character and it's a huge component of the movie that kind of reflects it is. another narrative that you're not talking about is this movie is so culturally relevant because it deals with topics of isolationism that a lot of people have gone through after the pandemic. Yeah. So I think that storyline, you're you're a little under lowballing it. At the same time, I don't think it's going to be... When I'm thinking of cinema history years from now, I'm probably going to be thinking 2022, that's the year of everything ever. I'm not going to think it's the year of Banshees. Maybe, I think it's going to be... Maybe I think, now you're... But think about in 10 years when, like, for example, we're both in film school, right? Are I they going to be showing... going to be studying everything everywhere. You think so? I think so, because it's going to have more of an impact on, like, mainstream filmmaking, mm-hmm. whereas... I think something like Banshees, like it's. I tried to show. I tried to ask my mom to watch it. She wouldn't even watch it. It's I, on, it she, and my mom watched everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, that's a mainstream well, movie. One is clearly more accessible. Banshees is not nearly as accessible than yeah, everything I think, everywhere. I think that's why it's not winning. When I was working at the theater, some people walked out of Banshees and were like, "Dude, don't watch that movie." And I was like, "I already did." And <laughs> no, but honestly, they had problems with uh, some of the lengths the Brennan Cleason character went through to show that he just straight up did not want to talk with Colin Farrell. And he does some stuff that is a little bit out there, I must say. But for me personally, the way the movie is structured, kind of like a fable, it didn't seem that jarring. Like, I don't know. What did you think? Like, did you... You know what part I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Do you think that was like... It was just out of left It didn't field? feel out of character for no, the movie felt... to me. I mean, that is McDonough the story there. And yeah, like McDonough, if anyone's watched Three dark. Billboards or obviously Seven Psychopaths or In Bruges, In Bruges, he likes going dark. Like, And Banshees is just like, I, I would argue him going the darkest because it's just serious. Like he's not doing those black humor jokes as much in Banshees because he can't. This type of topics he's dealing with are fucking dark shit. That, like, everybody does go through at one point. Um, yeah, I think in that respect, it definitely hooks close to home. It is, and I'm not saying that's a really powerful movie. I just think that, I think more people are going to be, like, cheering and screaming and everything when everything everywhere wins. It's definitely got that, I have to, it's got that parasite type of storyline where it has, pa- it it has, has so much passion. It has the it. cheerleading base for it, but now, does it have the. I, I don't I know guess if the critics, might... dude. I'm going to be straight up. The critics do vote. Like, the Academy is made up of a lot of critics, a lot of actors, uh, working professionals. It has right? a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes and 81% of Metacritic. Critics are still liking it. As much as Banshees? Question mark? Question mark? Um, Question mark? 
Banshee's tech. Okay, Banshee, you may be kind of on track there because it ha- Banshee's has a slightly higher Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic score. I think that, mm. and I can see what you're saying because older voters may not be completely in tune with everything everywhere. Oh, because yeah. that is, dude, that- I'm pretty sure when that like there's a scene where it jump cuts and we won't I won't go into super detail but it jump cuts and we're on a mountain and the characters are not human. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Hell yeah. Do you think for older audiences they're going to like that or no? They're going to fucking hate it, bro. To the extreme of like what the fuck am I watching? Which is the point of the Daniels, which are the directors of Everything Everywhere. That's the point they're trying to make, but at the same time, at this I I can definitely see it not working with older audiences mm-hmm. and older vote academy voters these all these old white men mm. um I, I can definitely see banshees working a little better with them because it's somewhat more understated and a bit and more much more criticky much That's, more criticky i i don't think everything over was meant to like please everybody no, no i think everything everywhere was like it was the daniels just like wanting to make the most daniels movie possible and also they, having they finally got a budget because you have to say, Swiss Army Man, like, although it does have Paul Dano, it has... Uh, Dana Radcliffe as a farting corpse. Yeah. It, you can tell the movie was pretty low budget because, you know, it uses primarily one or two locations, outdoors, might I add, uh, in the woods. Very No extras And in over movie. the sea as Like, everything everywhere, using... like, you could see they got, like, extras in the background and stuff, and you're like, oh, okay, they got a budget. This is nice to see. Yeah. That being said, I'm so pissed off that everything everywhere didn't even get on the technical shortlist for visual effects and for makeup. Because first of all, not getting on visual effects while all these Marvel films and all these not very good blockbusters like Jurassic World Dominion getting to the sh- the Oscar shortlist for visual effects, that's frankly insulting. The thing is, very few people actually worked on the visual effects for everything everywhere. But what they were doing was so, like, inventive and even though, like, seems kind of simple, like, that is so much a part of the visual style that was, like, that contributed to how visionary the movie is. And the The, fact that the... Primarily uh, practical effects in everything everywhere, except obviously when we're doing, like, multiversal, like, traveling. And when the Everything Bagel shows up. Yeah, but... But like Rakakui, for example, any other director in their right mind would have done CG there for you know yeah. a multitude of reasons, including was, I can't re- control this fucking. Oh robot come on! Right oh now. come on! It was funnier with oh, a shitty yeah. animatronic. Oh, it was way better. It almost like felt like I went to an old Chuck E. Cheese like in the middle of the movie, dude. I I fucked with it. The the, the but that just, all that just speaks to a level of gatekeeping in the in the visual effects branch mm. of the academy that uh, millions of visual underpaid special effects artists didn't work mm. on everything everywhere and that was like really a labor of love yeah and yeah. also the fact that oh wait, so does, we gotta talk, does with yeah. makeup we got to talk about fat suits Mm, okay, so before we move on to that, is is there a is there a kind of a uh, a feeling in the Oscar voting base that we need to just do spectacle when it comes to special effects, or are we caring about the craftsmanship? About you know Guillermo del Toro fucking actually you know wood chipping every little carve of that Pinocchio character, right? I like, think it's I don't think they give a shit about that, dude. I think they care about like the Dune, like let's go for like the biggest spectacle, yeah. Which is why Way of Water is going to totally get the dub for that. Oh, it's, it is. It's not even going to be close. And dude. it is like a, 
a revolutionary movie oh, for visual effects. Oh, deserving of that. Moving on to the SAGs. Frazier's got the dub on that. I, uh, absolutely. If the actors Hong are voting. Chow even got a SAG nod and a BAFTA nod, so she could end up happening for the whale. For real? Yeah. For like best supporting actress? Yes. No Potentially. Shot. No, I think it's Larry Condon for Banshees. Actually, no. Did she get oh, one? She's getting nominated, but the thing is, I think Angela Bassett's winning an Oscar. Uh, oh, she's shit, winning. I forgot. Remember, she won Globe. Yeah. Crick's choice. No, she's got the SAG. And she got a nomination no. for BAFTA and the SAG. SAG the she's SAG, winning. she's got it on lock. With all, all the awards branches, like, they don't care about Black Panther 2 except for Angela Bassett's, like, mm. like brief moment of screen time where she's just, like, like everything. Yeah. No, she's incredible in Wakanda Forever because, you know, you know it's good when you're watching it and you're like, wait, are they acting? Are they actually, like, grieving over the loss of Travis right Boseman. I think it was Could... more of that at one point. And that just means she fucking brought the heat, right? Where it's like, I'm like not able to discern a performance from reality. That is a very strong narrative too because you've got the fact that real world incident ended up affecting the production of a film and the making of the film in such mm-hmm. a profound way. The movie works best when it leans into the grief and the loss of you know obviously Chadwick Boseman and like a whole you know a whole legacy just got stripped because he he passed away too soon but I think the movie tackled that extremely well and Angela Bassett in particular holy fuck I believed she was grieving and that's why she should get the SAG I think the the actors will see that as well and vote for her yeah um for actress, uh, it's obviously Blanchett. It's not even a question. Um, it's a race between her and Michelle Yeoh. It's Blanchett. I bro. think it's a race between her and Michelle Yeoh, largely because if if Michelle Yeoh for, wins for the SAG, I'll literally be like, "This has no I'm talking indication." Talking about the Oscar. Oh, you're talking now. about the Oscar. Yeah, because this is the first like major awards season film that Michelle Yeoh's, mm. Michelle Yeoh's been in, and if that if she wins, she will be the first Asian woman to win in a leading category, which I think. You think that's going to supersede really, really like it. the storyline that? Like I said earlier, it's also where a strong... Kate Blanchett is literally going like, there will be blood. This is a very unlikable character and you're sticking with me for the whole two hours and a half. And I'm, and if my performance sucks, okay, the movie falls flat. She might be like the standout like performance. I think like people will also, but at the same time, I think people will feel better about like something with Michelle Yeoh, mm. especially since there's a, there seems to be a stronger career narrative for her. Mm. And she won the Golden Globe, and she's getting nominated everywhere, so she's mm-hmm. gonna get in. And but because I think because of the passion around the movie itself, mm. and the fact that everything we're is probably the best movie out of everything we're talking about here, um, we're arguable. <laughs> I, I disagree. But... I know. I know. So the last one we we need to talk about is the supporting actor side. It's going to Kwe Kwan. Kwe Kwan. Yeah. I, I agree with He's you. winning everywhere, everything everywhere. He's winning. He uh, he's doing what the movie said, basically. He, he he's following suit with the title. He he is the Waymond is the heart and soul of the film. Yeah. No, he's literally like the Ben Winshaw of freaking everything everywhere but, in terms of like heart and soul character. And he has an even better career narrative too because he he started off at he started off a short round. Yeah. In Temple of Doom and Goonies he, and Spiel, Spielberg. He even. In his phenomenal Golden Globe speech, he tearfully thanked Spielberg. Oh, that guy gave him his shot in Hollywood when, honestly, it was at a time where people didn't really want to hire Asian actors. So 
You have Especially to give child Spielberg. actors. Yeah. No, Spielberg is, you know, he he's a, he's goaded. More on that later. And plus, like, people really want to see, I think a large part of the career narrative and like the narrative in general for an Oscar is that the reason, remember the reason why Coda won wasn't necessarily because it was the best movie of the year, because they give the mm-hmm. best performances, but because people loved seeing them on stage. You're not wrong. And not wrong. it was for the show of it. People wanted to make like the love symbol and sign language. I don't know if people will be like cheering like crazy for Kate Blanchett as they will for Michelle Yeoh. You know winning, what I have to counter or, that with though? If you're already going to give it to K.Y. Kwan, do you really need a Michelle Yeoh fucking celebratory thing? I'm may- not sure. Maybe not because K.Y. Kwan like has honestly probably the... St- he and Frazier probably have the strongest career narratives out of anybody. Contending. I even think his is stronger just because it's so out of like. It's holy a comeback. Crap. I think out of all the performances and everything everywhere, he's my favorite performance in that movie. It would be either him or um, Stephanie Shu. For you? Yeah. Probably because I. Probably I think Stephanie Shu impressed you so more. Much. Like in terms of like the. Oh, wait. I've seen her as side characters, but like I've never seen her I think get the, material probably because like this. I think because of with both her and Kei Kwan, I we everyone connected with their characters so much. Well, well, me being of my generation, I connected with Stephanie Shu's character a lot. The thing is, I a couple of my friends and I went to see Everything Everywhere, and like when we were driving home, I was like, "Short Round can act now," and they were like, "That was Short Round." <laughs> They were, like, they were they were completely taken aback by that career wait, narrative. I remember him. I remember the kid from the Goonies <laughs> with with the slick shoes. Yeah. I think what we're going to do, Connor, is I'm going to save the surprises and snubs of the sags for the next episode. Oh, really? To start the top of the episode, we'll start it with that and then we'll move on to the other things. What is what do we have in store for the next episode, Connor? Do you want to let the audience know? Um so what we have in store is a special retrospective on two directors mm. that are contending this award season. We won't tell you who, but uh, hint, hint, they're the kings of the summer blockbusters. Hint, hint. Both of them. So um, stay tuned for that. Very different personalities, these two directors, huh? Definitely. Complete opposite personalities. Polar opposite. Yeah, but that doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means there's more way. there's more than one way to direct a movie, right? So right. we'll, we'll talk about that and give our reviews on their films and a couple older ones that they made as well, which is so going to be a fun time. We're so. going to have a mini career retrospective on both of them. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, thanks for tuning in to Before Showtime with Connor and Marcelo. And uh, right now we're going to get some lunch, right? Let's go get some lunch. Yeah, but we got to drop our socials. Ooh, okay. Drop your socials. All right. I'm on Instagram at connor.mc. The O's are zeros. Uh, we are also on Letterboxd. You gotta find us. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna give our Letterboxd openly because yeah, I think it's more fun if you can hunt for us. What's your Instagram? My Instagram, basically the only social I have for right now is M Ono Machado, which is M O H N O Machado. No spaces, no hyphens. Pretty easy. There's a little there's a little icon on me, black and white, and also like nobody has Ono Machado in their username, so. You'll be able to find me. Hopefully you'll be able to find both of us and keep in touch. That would be cool. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome.